Hey, so it has been a while since I have done an intro for one of my episodes. <laughs> and this feels super awkward, I have to admit. But we're going to push through because I miss doing this. Apparently, other people miss the show, which... Um, I have to say that warms my heart a little bit like you know not to be all sappy and stuff too early but I appreciate the fact that a lot of people have said hey when are you going to release the episode again or something to that effect and yeah I guess appreciate that thank y'all for the ones that have done that I appreciate it you know who you are um how many times have I said um so far I figured that would be the first thing I start doing once I start getting back into podcasting again is the Annoying ums that I always hear myself doing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, today's episode, I, before I ramble too much, and I already have, today's episode is uh, me catching up with my friend Tobias. Tobias has actually been a huge um, support system in getting me back on the mic. Uh, so a shout out to him. I couldn't, I, I, I didn't think anybody else, but uh, Tobias should be my first episode back after such a long hiatus because he's been pushing me to do it and shading me and poking me and doing all kind of things to, to get me back on this mic. And here I am. So we're talking about the 2022 Mutua Madrid Open that just took place in Madrid, Spain. We're talking about the champions, the runners up, everybody in between, who did well, who came out of the event looking good, who left looking bad and we just have a good old conversation and that's what I like about this podcast and that's what I, I miss doing and without further ado um here's our conversation I'll see you on the other side if I don't then that just means I got lazy and <laughs> put some intro music or outro music on the end of our conversation and I'll see you on the next episode how about that <laughs> all right I hope this is recording. I really hope it is because I um I'm building my mojo back. I was about to say that I lost my mojo, but that's not what I'm going to claim. I'm going to claim that no. I'm building it back. And to help, <laughs> to help positive. me back, what'd you say? <laughs> so we're being positive. We're being positive today. We're giving ourselves some G words, some grace that we always <laughs> talk about. <laughs> and to help me build up my mojo again, I have Tobias. Tobias has joined me on uh, last season, uh, 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 episode last season. I think we, we talked about Miami last year? I do believe so. It was between the, the Sunshine Double for sure. So keeping with the tournaments in cities that start with M, we're going to be talking about Madrid because we didn't cover Miami this year. <laughs> hey, Tobias, how are you? Tell the listeners, doing, how you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Um, been watching some tennis, trying to get back into, you know, a normal tennis season, normal tennis schedule. So that's been nice. And didn't you just have a move to in, across the country, across the state? <laughs> uh, up, up, up north, moving to the northern part of Texas. Yes. All right, northern Texaner or Texan? Is, is that what y'all call yourselves? Texan, Texan, yes. Um, I might, I might take a trip to Texas. It's been a while, especially because they yeah. have they have uh, more tournaments coming there. They have one in Austin coming next year. They do. Hmm. It's hot, child. It's hot. <laughs> well, you know, 
I don't know about about the heat in Madrid, but it sure was rainy this year, wasn't it? Thank yes. God for those uh those those uh retractable roofs because they use them quite a bit. And good money, money well spent. I mean, from what I've from what I've gathered and read, Madrid seems to have a nice little purse behind them. Yeah, they have a they definitely have a nice little point. Um, that's why everybody tries to play there every year. It's and you got some people complaining about the schedule, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that. So let's just go through the 2022 Mutual Madrid Open. It is a WTA 1000 and an ATP Masters 1000 event, uh, all in the lead up to Roland Garros, which starts on May 22nd. Only in a couple of weeks, so this is a, a a prime opportunity for players to feel their games on the clay and kind of gauge where they are in um, in or around the second major of the year, the French Open. So uh, let's start from the top, and the top is the world number one, only by a thread, <laughs> Novak Djokovic. Novak Djokovic, I haven't covered this on the podcast because of the hiatus I've been on, but he has been in hot water all season. His season <laughs> has been, his, his, I mean, which, which tracks, which tracks from what I covered in 2021 is it, it, it didn't, it didn't seem like it was going to get much better. <laughs> I mean, well, it, that's 2021 was a hard act to follow. Yeah, and he, and he, um, some, somehow he made it worse for himself in 2022. <laughs> sophomore album is not doing Actually, great. 2020, 2020 had a big bump. 2021 had some bumps. And in 2022. It's skipping. That CD is skipping. <laughs> At least he's keeping us on our toes with what kind of uh, BS or stubbornness he's going to fulfill. But e- either way, neither here nor there, he did play this tournament. I believe this was only his fourth tournament of the year. Third or fourth, yeah. something, yeah. something like his, that. His season, his season didn't start in Australia. Typically, he played his first tournament in Dubai. Then mm-hmm. he played um, Monte Carlo, Serbia. Got to the mm-hmm. final of Serbia. Got waxed in the third set with a bagel. Mm-hmm. Nice that, bagel. That was pleasing to me and my homegirls. <laughs> and <laughs> and now and now we arrive to the Mutual Madrid Open. What he reached the semifinals. He reached mm-hmm. the semifinals by defeating. Um, he got a first round bye because he's number one seed. He had to actually get to the third round to uh, to uh, retain his world number one ranking, or else it would have gone to recent world number one or recently just uh, claimed world number one. Daniel Medvedev. He's been number one for only a handful of weeks. I believe it started in February when he first got to the top spot. Doing some uh, here. <laughs> I want to say, um, yeah, late February because yeah, I think I want to have it right before, uh, right before Indian Wells. Yes, 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 yes. So they they are very um, because Djokovic has had weeks and weeks of not playing. Um, their their points are definitely close to each other. So luckily, I, well, luck depending on who you ask. <laughs> luckily, Djokovic uh, drew Gael Monfils in the second round. Because before that match, Djokovic had beaten Gael, unfortunately, 17 times in a row. And nothing changed. Nothing changed except the date. <laughs> and, he, the, and the space. The date and the space. space. Because he, he beat Mofi again, 6-3, 6-2, to retain that world number one ranking and get to the third round. Um, he, actually got a, he actually got a fairly good draw 
Um, I mean, fairly is putting it lightly because, I mean, he got the third round. He drew Andy Murray, who had just beaten uh, Dominic Team in the, in the opening round. And Dominic Team is on his way back from a very serious wrist injury. That's who Andy Murray beat in the first round. Second round, he beat uh, Dennis Shapovalov in a third set. Shapovalov's mm-hmm. <sighs> his yeah, range is all MIA. He's been in my A for a minute. Yeah, since that Wimbledon semifinal, he hasn't he hasn't found too much consistency anywhere. Um, but all of that to say, Murray withdrew from the potential mm-hmm. matchup with Djokovic, and I'm salty about that because I, I, I not that I expected it to be some firework match. I fully expected Djokovic to be able to hand, handle Andy Murray with a metal hip, especially because he still is as history has tracked. The, and, yeah, I mean, and their head to head is like twenty something to eleven. So, because they're only like a, they're only like a couple of months apart in age too. Mm-hmm. So he's literally been waxing him for a while. They know each other's games for sure. The, their games are very similar. I just feel like Novak's athleticism allows him to play it a tad bit better. And they both um, praise each other's back. I, I was just watching yeah. this clip on Instagram, like during the 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 heart of quarantine. They were trying to build the perfect player, and both of them were like, "Yeah, I'll take your backhand. I'll take your backhand." I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, cute." Yeah. <laughs> well, because I mean, it's just both solid shot on both of them, and when pressed and when they get frustrated, their forehand is usually the first thing to go. Hmm. Um. So that was a walkover. Djokovic got a walkover from Andy Murray, and then went on to face. Hubie Hercash defeated Hubie Hercash in the quarterfinal 6-3-6-4. Routine matchup. Hubie Hercash basically held his seating as he should have. Hubie has not had a bad year by any stretch of the imagination, but he hasn't really um, made any tremendous strides. I don't think he has a title yet this season. Season's still early. That could change. Um, and I, don't, I don't see him getting one on clay either. I don't, he is he getting better. He's getting better. Yes, I will just say that. Yes, yes, better. <laughs> you, but you not. Gotta, we we are using that G word. All the all the boys. Can oh yeah. Play on, cannot play on clay. <laughs> this is true. I mean, and like you said, he did hold his seat, which is good. Um, like I say, I just anybody could have been in that slot where Novak is and probably would have got the win over Huey just because again, that's not the surface didn't lend itself to his game. He's not the most comfortable on clay. Yeah. It just He'll get there, I think, because he does have the tools. I just don't know if he's utilizing them well enough because he does. He probably just doesn't have the experience or the experience winning because I feel like there's a difference between just getting plain old experience on a service because anybody can go out there and just play hit the ball for hours and hours. But if you don't have any experience walking to the net, getting a W and shaking the hand and being like, good job, but I got the win, ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not mean, the same. it's not the same. There's quite there's quite a few players who don't have that that winning experience at a <laughs> couple of different places, but we go we go move on. We go digress. So we yeah, gonna we, we go say no names. We gonna leave Djokovic uh, getting to the quarterfinals. He he progressed further, but for the sake of just this conversation, we'll we'll flip to something else. So let's go to Rafael Nadal. Rafael Nadal was actually coming back. This is his first tournament since Indian Wells. And shortly after Indian Wells, he announced that he had a stress fracture in one of his ribs. So he missed Monte Carlo. He missed Barcelona. 
Um, and I think those are the only two uh, scheduled events that he would he normally plays in the lead up to uh, Roland Garros. He missed those to try to heal up, which all things considered, he also got to the quarterfinals. Um, I'll break it down in just a second. But like I said, all things considered, coming back from a stress fracture in your rib and only missing two tournaments to come back and then make the quarterfinals of a Masters 1000, even for Rafael Nadal, that's not bad, at least to me. It's, How do you think? It's, it's not bad because, again, we all know most tennis players don't take that much time off in general, mm-hmm. especially being on the win. Well, how his season has progressed up until the injury, like you wouldn't, he wouldn't take that much time off because he was winning. Like, yeah, he only lost like, one match to Taylor Fritz in the Indian Wells final. Right. So that's his only, besides his loss um, here in Madrid, that's he literally has two L's on, on the schedule. And yeah. in the season where he dominates. So he started off and he had a, he had a pretty tough road just to the quarterfinals alone. He had a first round bye and faced, uh, Misha Kesmanovic in the second round, and that second set was a tiebreaker. He he ultimately won six one seven six. In the third round, uh, he got all he could handle from David. Is it is it David Goffin or is it David? Because the it's, the it, it's David. It's, it's it's David. I think when they're in Europe, because they did the same thing with um, Ferrer. Yeah, it was always David when they were anywhere in Europe, and then. They'd be like, oh, David Ferrer. And I'm like, Ew. well, you know, because because my middle name is David, I'm going to call him David. <laughs> but David played like he was trying to take down Goliath in that match, for sure, for sure, because uh, there he were, is shorter than him by a decent margin. Would you say? He is shorter than him by a decent margin. He's, he's a small guy. Yeah, David um, Goffin, excuse me, he's a very short guy. He he punches a little bit above his weight, and he showed that he can still do that. Because for a couple of seasons there, he definitely went MIA. Like, he, he wasn't consistently performing. And just, to, just to show, he won a title on clay earlier this year in Morocco and still had to qualify to get into this event. So he played two rounds before he got to Rafa and held four match points against Rafa in the tie break. So just just to throw that G word around again, uh Grace. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't been the same since he had like that eye injury that he got. So mm. that's what kind of derailed him like three years two, three years ago when he was in the top ten. Something was wrong, like a ball hit him in the eye socket or something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, can see how that would derail somebody. Because it's, I mean, it's a free accident. Yeah, it's a free yeah. accident. You kind of lose trust that if you go out there again, like, where's the next ball going to come from? <laughs> and you also need your eyes to see these balls, especially on a, on a natural surface like, you know, clay and grass where the ball tends to, like, skid mm-hmm. off the lines and bad bounces. It's kind of key that you <laughs> your eyes are working to optimal level. Yeah, so these, if they're not... balls are coming at 85 miles per hour all the time. So you do. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a slow one. Yeah. <laughs> you need that eye to be moving. <laughs> so the, the, the first of one of the biggest upsets in the men's tournament was uh, Rafa Nadal versus Carlos Alcarez in the quarterfinals. I believe this is my very first time mentioning Carlos Alcarez on the podcast. Am I, mm-hmm. am I light years late? Yes. Do I take ownership <laughs> for that? Yes. But, the that young man that recently turned nineteen the year prince. old, 
the 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 prince of tennis, the the one that has come through and told all the next gen players, ah, ah, it's for me. This is for me. The possible uh, world number one at the end of the year. Would you say the possible the possible world number one at the end of the year? Listen, if you want to go off on on that one, I'll let you have it. I personally would like to see him get reach his goal of winning a Grand Slam first or a major tournament first before we start talking about world number one. I feel like that, you know how people say the old, what's that old uh, thing, first comes baby? Yeah, what first come baby, first come whatever is first love, first come love, then come marriage, then come the baby. Yeah, the baby I feel like first for your first thing should be a Masters one thousand. <laughs> That's true. Is, well, I mean, not first, but as far as your your progression to world number one, it should be you should have a Masters one thousand title somewhere on your resume. You should have a Grand Slam title somewhere on your resume, and then you can be like, well, those are the those are the two highest levels of the sport. Why can't I just go? For world number one, you know, it doesn't always right. happen that way, obviously. But, but no, I'm just I, as I was watching the broadcast earlier, the mat, uh, the final, Jim Curry made the point that where Carlos is right right now in the live rankings, he's sitting at number two. Novak most likely will have points falling off just because again, we Wait, know his situation. Number, there's no he's number two in the in the you mean the race, the race to yeah, the, the live race, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, so he's number two in the live race. And then when you consider like everybody else has points falling off and he doesn't have really anything to defend till the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. the math is mathing to where if he continues to perform like he's performing and other people do not or are not allowed to play, because that's another thing we'll, we'll have to discuss. Yikes. The Grand Slam, he could possibly end up being... Um, world number one by the end of the year because he already has 3,000 points I don't not want to see it because I think that'd be a beautiful story uh just for I'm always a little hesitant of like of putting too much out there for a player to to chew if that makes any sense especially a teenager if he was like 23 different story and, and had like really had had years and or a couple of years I should say of like you know winning 250s, 500s, and just more of a gradual ascent to the top. He, this Literally this time last year, he was getting his ass whooped by Rafa Nadal, like 6261, and I don't think – he had to go through – he had to go through Roland Garros qualifying last year. Mm-hmm. So to go from that to world number one in a little over a year, I feel like that, that could – that would be awesome, but it could have um, – some negative effects that might affect his motivation. It might put too much pressure on him. All of those things, you know. It, it, it could, but he's also done things in this short amount of time that some of the older statesmen haven't done, which is beat both Rafa and Novak on clay. The two most likely better picks for Roland Garros. So I mean, and he handled them fairly well. He handled Nadal much better than he handled Djokovic, which is kind of scary. So Carlos beat Nadal 6-2, 1-6, 6-3 in the quarterfinals. And I, I venture to say the only reason that he dropped that set is because he took a real um, hard fall and ended up going over his ankle. And um, it must be something in that 19-year-old blood that was like, you know, we got enough. 
we got enough energy in the tank and what's that what's that word adrenaline yes adrenaline mm-hmm. <laughs> to see it through because once he got up and got adjusted to like i guess the the strength of the tape that the the uh, the physio put on his ankle he was right there in it and it was a mixture of Nadal being a little undercooked because of the match he had just played. And he, I mean, he admitted as much that Nadal is always going to have an issue with his feet. So it's almost like he's carrying multiple injuries because he's, he's, I'm sure to a certain extent, he's still nursing how that whole rib area feels and he's mm-hmm. carrying a chronic injury onto the court. But none of that is to take away from what Alcaraz was able to do. It just is, 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 mind-boggling to see how far he's come in such a long way. I mean, it's how far he's come in such a short time. Plus, like I said, this, this is the third time he's played Rafa overall in his career, where I do believe the semi was the first time he's played Novak. So, you the know. First, just, yeah, after Alcaraz beat uh, Nadal, he faced Djokovic in the semi, and that was their first career meeting. And that was a, a over three-hour epic. Um, Alcaraz beat Djokovic 6-7, dropping the first set in the tiebreak, and then coming back to win the, the second and third set, 7-5, 7-6. So I watched a good bit of that match and really insane rallies. Djokovic definitely had his chances to, to wrap that up um, in, a, in a two-setter. But there's a fighting spirit. I don't I, – you know what? Look, I, I guess we can open the book for real, for real, on Carlos Alcaraz because – he deserves it. You know how some pl- you know how some people say that certain players, if they don't have experience, they're kind of just out there swinging because they have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I see that in him to a certain extent. He's he has the kind of confidence that you can't really teach. Um, and I hope that I really hope that that steers him well for the rest of his career, because when he's out there, there's no there's no aura of a young person just going out there swinging for the fences. He's still utilizing his tennis IQ yeah. and he's utilizing the fact that he's 10, 10, almost 15 years younger than Novak Djokovic and uh, Rafael Nadal. So he's using the fresher legs, which is just something that he has a one up on over them any day of the week. It's just that they have more experience in tighter moments, but he's still being able to overcome that. So his, his performance this week in just beating Djokovic and Nadal alone, um, not, that I, not that I didn't see it when he won Madrid, not that I didn't see it when he won Barcelona, but it was like in my face this, this week, he's the real deal. He, he, he's likely not going to go anywhere um, anytime soon. That's kind of the vibe I got. Yeah, because like um, I think you were meaning like when he went in Miami, where he was playing Casper Root, it was kind of like, oh well, we both like we're both competing for like the largest title of our careers. We both kind of have nothing to lose and everything to gain. But when you're in a situation where you know two veteran players, it could have been he could have easily folded and say he fought, he fought back. Um, but he also um, he wasn't down as much here in Madrid, which I also think he kind of learned from Miami where he. Had to play from behind a lot and did it well. Um, this year, he kind of he played better from the front, leading in matches. <laughs> I had a joke that came to my mind when you said that, but I won't use it. <laughs> he is he is a, a very good front runner. Once he once he figures out that like he 
the, that he has his opponent rattled, he isn't going to really step up. And he utilizes the crowd. I mean, he's utilized the crowd that's in Spain and not in Spain. I would say it's, it's, it's beneficial that he went from like Madrid to Barcelona to, excuse me, to Miami to Barcelona to Madrid, all three of those places. Obviously, Barcelona and Madrid have Spanish um crowds but Miami does too just because of the culture there so I think he utilizes all of that but it, it's not to the point where it comes off cocky like some players can kind of can kind of some players the way they engage with crowds it's almost as if they really 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 need this crowd to even let their level come up a little bit he just does it because that's the natural fire he plays with he's not yeah. he's not utilizing the crowd to try to give him more energy he's 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 almost basically yelling out the nervous energy. That's what I. That's the vibe I get. Yeah, and but he's also doing it at the proper times. Like some of the combinations that he's come up with, where he's hitting like heavy forehands or flat balls deep into the court, and then hitting a drop shot that is you know just falls right over the net with some backspin that his opponent can't get to, and the crowd's cheering. He plays into that because again, that's a really good point, especially on a clay court. So. He's giving, he's putting on a show, and you know he just wants a little acknowledgement when he you know when he does something spectacular. Which again, I can't blame him. I'm not mad at that. And you you brought up a really good point. You brought up a really good point with his touch. The fact that he can hit screaming winners off of his forehand and hit a drop shot that almost looks like Agnieszka Radwanska did it is a very nice combo because Radwanska no. wasn't smacking forehands like that. She was she was not. <laughs> she was. But she, she can hit a good not, drop shot. Uh, she, yeah, she, especially off her backhand side, for sure. His forehand drop shot, to, for, for that side to be so lethal and have so much touch at the same time. Which that's a very difficult shot to execute, a forehand drop shot. Very. To, to place it, to time it, to drop the pace off of it. Because these boys aren't hitting like club level. They're hitting average 75, 85 mile per hour rally ball. So to just dead the pace and have the ball just dink over because you already have your opponent pinned to the back is just something. It, it, watching him play tennis, I, I hope there's a, there's been this movement. Shout out to the girls at Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast. They did an interview with Taylor Fritz's girlfriend and her, she made a viral TikTok a while back and it was basically trying to make tennis cool again. I hope Carlos Alcaraz is in the wave of making tennis cool again. Cause I, I hope he's on the cover of, of sports illustrated and all that stuff. I, that's, that kind of contradicts what I was saying about putting too much pressure on him. But then when you just lean into the fact of him being a, he he seems like a once in a lifetime talent it, just from watching mm-hmm. him on television. So you, you you can't you can't hope but unless you're a hater, you can't hope but wish the best for him. And he's not, and he seems like a really really humble kid at the same time. Yeah, and, I mean, well, he's already been on the uh, cover of Men's Health or in Men's Spain. Fitness. Fitness, fitness, yeah. Health and fitness, something. Yeah, in Spain. So I mean. The covers are already coming, and I mean the performance he put on today in the final against there. Um, yep. Next things, next things, next mm-hmm. is to see how he performs as a top ten seed at a uh, at a major. He's already put in good performances at majors before, so yeah. see what happens. He pr- he may be a top five seed by the time we get to Roland Garros. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, so 
We've talked about Alcarez and his two major upsets of Djokovic and Nadal. I guess we can just fly by the fact that he beats Zverev in the final three and one because it because the match that stick he gave him. It wasn't much of a match. It was over an hour and two minutes. Did you even catch any of it? Did you even? Did you? I, I, I saw the Brewster in the double faults were were flying. <laughs> what do you make of? Do you do you walk away with anything different that you already um, that you already didn't think of with Zverev's game after this tournament? Um, no. I mean, I think um, the flaws that he has in his game they're still there. I I will say. I feel like he's gotten better at hiding them in certain situations, but I feel like certain players will still be able to bring that out because I don't think he's done anything to fix them. He's just hiding them. Like his um, his overheads, just like, just like Novak's, are not the greatest, which he probably needs to get that taken care of. Like you, you're blamed, a professional. Just, just FYI, he blamed the missed overheads on the scheduling. <laughs> he did that's what he he linked it he said that he was he, he said that's what ESPN reported that he's very tired of late night matches and there were a couple smashes that he would have ordinarily made but he didn't because he was too tired to get up for the ball so I'm assuming that was his excuse for Acapulco too yeah he always has an excuse there's always it's always something he didn't do or he's sorry for or I apologize or I'll do better for always there was some miss over here in Acapulco, I do believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, three years ago, when he had the yips and was double falling left and right, I mean, that was scheduling too. Okay, I no, just, no. just, just making sure for the record. <laughs> um, I mean, I, it, to me, it just looked like Carlos handed him handed him a nice fat L because mm-hmm. in in the rallies, especially on Carlos to serve, Zero was it. He wasn't playing badly, but obviously he wasn't playing great. And then his forehand can be a little, little shaky at times. A little too. pushy, a little pusher push. Yeah. push. We all know, again, his backhand is the more lethal and solid side for him. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that's a scheduling issue. I think that's a, a nerve issue because um, you, you like this teenager is handing me, you know, he dropping bombs on me, and I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm there was something wrong with his racket, quote unquote, at some point during the match. Well, he was he was hitting his strings. Now I will say that's something I do see commonly in Madrid because of the altitude. Altitude. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the players do get new strings or like fresh string jobs often once they get to the court and realize how the conditions are playing on that specific day. That's the whole science behind strings <laughs> conversation. Right, but he's also been in Madrid all week. And he's won there twice. <laughs> two years in a row. So Maybe two years in a row, but he's won there twice. Mm. He won in twenty eighteen and twenty twenty one. Okay. Close enough. Yeah. So then again, <laughs> you should you you should know you've been around the block a couple of times. Um. Well, speaking of being around the block, uh, Paz was in the mix again on a clay court tournament. He has come off the uh, the backs of winning in Monte Carlo which he was the defending champion, so now he's a two-time Monte Carlo champion. So I do think that Tsitsipas is always going to enjoy this part of the season. He ended up getting to the semifinals, surprisingly lost to Zverev because the last three times they played on clay, I want to say, Tsitsipas beat him. Um, 
relatively comfortable. Um, some of the some people are saying he was a little scared of, the, of who was waiting in the finals, but. I mean, I can't blame him. Sissipas thinking that, oh, if I win this semifinal, I'm going to play Alcarez, and Alcarez has already beaten me three. Beat my clock twi- two or three times? Three times he beat him in Acapulco and the, and the U.S. Open, right? Yeah, and then, um, yeah, so maybe maybe just twice. But, yeah, he's cleaned his clock already twice. Yeah, so yeah, and Sissipas and, and is supposed to be what or was supposed to be the next big thing. So here you are getting beat by another next big thing. I can see how that could play in the back of your mind, especially because Sissy Pie started off slow. He got a little better, but he never really got – he never really revved up to to match where Zverev originally came out, you know, his level. His level came out at. So that was a little surprising, but, I mean, it's still a good showing getting to the semifinals of a Masters 1000. Isn't – isn't um, you know, it's not, it's not scrubalicious. Um I hate to make this segue when I just said Scrubalicious, but I had to talk about Felix. <laughs> well, he, Felix he, did. He, 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 he showed did, up this week. He had a respectable tournament, I have to say. <laughs> he amidst, showed up this week. Amidst the amidst the the trouble he's been having on clay, he had a very respectable tournament by getting to the quarterfinals and losing in straight sets to Zverev. Along the way, um, to get to that quarterfinal, he had to... He had to beat Christian Garin, who is a very, very good clay quarter. Not in good form, but, you know, a clay quarter nonetheless. And he, he gave Yannick Center a nice little beatdown. So, mm-hmm. you know. That's nice, you, that's nice you seeing on clay that, you know, uh, Felix has been struggling. He's been struggling <laughs> on clay and, and well, everywhere else. Only, uh, the reason I say on clay is because that's where the majority of the losses have come from. He didn't do well in the Miami or the Indian Wells Miami Sunshine Double. He lost both his opening matches there, but the rest of the matches have been all on clay. And he he might he has been like winning one match and then losing a match, maybe winning two matches, losing the next match. It's just been very stop and start compared to where the very beginning of his season was in January and February, where he finally got his first title in Rotterdam. I don't think I, I don't think I've mentioned that on the podcast yet. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things that I've mentioned on the podcast, so we we're we gonna roll with it, okay? Tennis is one of those things that keeps rolling, and as will the podcast. Um, so it's just his his last six to seven weeks have been very head scratching, but hopefully he can take solace in the fact that he won two matches in Madrid over over some pretty decent opponents. Especially that, that match over center, not to put too much on just one match, because it could have been a host of reasons why center um, didn't really show up for that match. But Felix played well. I would have liked to see him beat Zverev, but, you know, I can't have it all. You know, and, um, you know Zverev is a more accomplished play quarter at this point in his career. So, I mean, on paper, that match went the way it was supposed to go. Tis what it is. Alcarez is your 2022 Mutual Madrid. Mutual? Mutual? Whatever. He's a 2022 Madrid Open champion uh, after beating the world number one, the king of clay, and the world number three, I believe, uh, Zverev is. Four? That sounds about right. Three, three or four. Three. I think three or three. four. I think yeah, his his current ranking is three. So yeah, he beat he beat he he essentially beat one, two, and three, <laughs> and that's 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 not bad, not bad at all, sir, not bad at all. 
So want to hop over to the women and talk mm-hmm. about the messy, messy Madrid tournament on the women's side? Child, that child, that was a mess. I actually did not mind the way the final. The, I'm, I, personally, I'm not mad at the final only because, well, not only. One of the reasons I'm not mad at the final is because I picked Anz Jabour in, in our fantasy group to get to the final. At the time, I was like, Miles, what are you doing? Like, but but in hindsight, in hindsight, it makes sense because she had just gotten to the final of Charleston. I know that's green clay, but it's clay nonetheless. I think she got to the quarters in Stuttgart, maybe. And so her, it's not like her. It's not like her form is bad. It's just it's it's been between the ears with Anz Jabour. But we'll we'll, we'll lead up. We'll lead up to her lifting the trophy. Let's let's backtrack a little bit. Um, okay. Let's let's just start at the quarterfinals. Well, do we want to start at the quarterfinals? Because no. all the things, uh, some things happen. A lot of girls didn't make it to the quarters. A lot of girls so. didn't make it to the quarters. So we probably should have. We talk about what happened quickly. Um, uh, before the quarters. So the the very first section was our before the tournament started, we had a withdrawal from the current world number one, Iga Swiatek. Uh and her, her place in the draw was uh switched out with Layla Fernandez and she took her her seeding, not the number one seed, but she just essentially took her space in the draw as the number seventeen seed. Um Rada Kanu was in that er, that very section, a very top section in the top half of the tournament. She made it to the third round, and she was upset by one of the tournament's little um, my dark horse, most likely yeah, dark horse darling stories of the tournament. Annalena Kalanina from Ukraine, who I have to say, if we're gonna open up the book on Annalena Kalanina, she has a stride in between points. <laughs> Even if you don't watch tennis, if you listen to this podcast for whatever reason and you don't know anything about tennis, just type in, just try to Google the best you can, Annalena, excuse me, Annalena Kalanina from Ukraine and YouTube how she walks in between points. She walks like she already knows she that she that girl, and it's not it's not overtly cocky because there's a there's a certain walk I'm um trying to compare it to in my mind. If you know how Sophia Kennan walks, that can be. <laughs> I can see how that would put somebody off, but hers isn't off putting to me. It's just real smooth, relaxed, kind of heavy, but also like, yeah, I'm supposed to be out here. This is this this is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> well, like her stride, the strokes on both sides. Uh, that she's strong. She's strong. Very heavy. When she leans into them shots, I was like, oh, I see why you <laughs> literally hitting the girls off the court. Um, Quick segue into uh, into Rome. She is playing the ultimate power girl in her opening round, so I don't know how I don't know how that's going to go for either one of them. And I actually picked. Shout out to the gypsies. If you if you're a gypsy, you know you know who you are. If you're listening to this, I picked Kalanina as my basic bitch. <laughs> she's not a, she's not a basic or a bitch, but there's a term we use um, to qualify players that aren't seated. Um, just because you know it's funny, it's quirky. It's it's it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a way to keep things going. And I picked Kalanina as mine, so I I don't necessarily in my heart of hearts I don't necessarily want to see Madison Keys losing. But I think given the current the given the current trend of things, I think Kalanina is going to win that matchup. So that's interesting uh, in the in the perspective of Rome, which starts this week. You know, Maddie likes play though, so we'll see. 
Madison Madison has made the finals of Rome before, so <sighs> and the semifinals at the French as well. Yeah, so you know she can play on clay. It's just that if she wants to, and that mm-hmm. wants that wants is uh, a strong is a strong indicator of what, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen. Uh, also in this section was Jill Teichman, who actually took out Kalanina. I think Kalanina was a little bit tired because Kalanina literally did some giant killing, depending on who you ask. She did some giant killing. <laughs> she beat three Grand Slam champions in a row. She beat Sloane Stevens, Muguruza, and Emirata Kanu just to get to the quarterfinals, where she lost to Jill Teichman. Who, and Jill Teichman is a Swiss player who grew up in Spain or trained in Spain and really loves the clay. I never really know where to put my expectations for Jill Teichman. She's a lefty. I'm a lefty, so I have a soft spot for them. But week in, week out, I, I don't know where her level is. Yeah, her consistency is not there. But you know what? That's kind of in line with her Swiss sister. So, I mean. Belinda Benchich? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Benches can give you one good. Hot, she blows hot or cold. Mm-hmm. Like she, you look at her play one week, like she did a Charleston. You look at her play one week, and you're like, "How is she not consistently top 10? Then the next week after that, you're like, "Yep, now I know why." <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Martina uh, Martina Higgins needs to come and get her girls together. Martina Higgins needs to stay away from tennis altogether. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> she has other things to worry about. Um, um. <laughs> Who else made the quarterfinals? Well, any anybody else you want to talk about that that didn't make the quarterfinals? Um, well, we can they played each other, so we can talk about them. Uh, Coco and Halep. Oh, we can talk about Osaka next. Coco and Halep. Well, we can be here all day talking about Coco, man. I, uh, Coco didn't look. I, I know she she won her opening round match six two six love against. Hold on, let me look it up real quick. Against uh, uh, Anna Carolina Schmidlova. Yeah, I know that name. She beat her mm-hmm. six love, six two, excuse me. That's a beat down. And uh, Schmidlova is not a, a, a novice. She's not a novice on clay at all. So I, I had good hopes, but then watching Coco struggle against Putin Sable, who also is a good clay court player, it was just the way Coco struggled that made me be, that made me concern for her progression yes i believe with good health and 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 just and and um faith and good energy on her side she'll have a long career but i i want to see her start to fix some of the glaring issues in her game and some of the glaring issues in her game is her forehand i don't know how she can technically fix it because i feel like at at a certain point even though she's only 18 She's been playing that way for a long time. So I don't know how you technically fix it, but it definitely showed its ugly head against Halep. And Halep is the kind of player that's going to expose your weaknesses if you allow if you allow her to, which even if you don't allow her to, she'll make a way to expose your weaknesses. I think I think what's what it's going to take for Coco is is it's not going to be major adjustments. It's going to be slight ones that kind of hit for like a slight shift in her grip, like like you said, at this point, doing a complete overhaul to her grip, especially she's what top fifteen in the world currently. Mm-hmm. She's, yeah. she's eighteen, and she's eighteen years old. And she's I think last time I checked, she was sixteen in the world. So yeah, so yeah, so you don't want to completely just uh, overhaul her game because um, it's been, Sometimes it's working. been working for. Her. Yeah, yeah, it's been working for. Her. So you know, just slight adjustments there and. 
again, one of the glaring issues, I think, is her closing out sets. Because she was up, what, 4-1 in that second set against Halep? 4-2. 4-2. And in one, game. <laughs> yeah, one one bad um, second serve, and the wheels fell off before she could even shift gears. Um, so, not letting closing out matches for sure, or closing out sets rather, and you know, not letting one mistake kind of hinder her. Like I know we don't particularly care for him, but that's one thing in most cases Zero doesn't do because he double faults a lot. It's it doesn't necessarily bleed into the rest of his game Mm. on on most days. You can tell when something is bothering her. Her poker face, which I thought was a strength of hers, her poker face isn't great at the current moment. When she's stressed and when she feels like something isn't going right in her game, it's all over her face and her eyes. I mean, granted, the the cameramen are definitely going to pick up on it, but I wish she... I wish she had a little bit to say that they always compare it to Venus. I wish she had a little bit more Venus in her because sometimes you can't tell if Venus is frustrated or not. You know? Yeah, you can. If you turn on the match, you do not know if she's up <laughs> six two or if, she, if we down six two. Lord. Sometimes, and sometimes we be down six two. Right. We just <laughs> lost the set. Um, but yeah, no, she definitely could use a little bit more Venus in her. She's definitely more Serena in that aspect of mm-hmm. being demonstrative on the court, uh, which, you know, worked for her. Venus is not, and it worked for her, so a happy medium would be great. Um, then also, like I say, Halep made her debut with Patrick and yeah, won that, a couple of that's rounds. A new, that's a new uh, merry-go-round coaching situation. Patrick Moritagalu has, to be honest, I don't have the energy, nor do I want to <laughs> to really engage in the why, the what, the how into the announcement Patrick made that he was going to take a break for the short term to work with Halep. Um, and then again, Serena and Venus and a whole bunch of other players ended up unfollowing Patrick. So that's mess and drama we'll have to <laughs> go into another day. But um, this was Halep's first tournament with Patrick Moritagalu, and she did all right. I mean, I don't know if y'all can tell or tell by now. Um, maybe you need reminding. I'm not Halep's biggest fan. There's been a couple of key moments where I, I needed her to lose, and she did the opposite <laughs> of that. And I, I have not quite got over that. Um, <laughs> so she actually left, excuse me, she actually lost to Jabor. And I believe that was Jabor and Halep's first time meeting on tour. And what I thought, even though, even though when I thought this, I thought it was a little bit of a reach. I thought Jabor had enough junk to bother Halep because I had been making the comparison lately that Jabor plays like a more um, a more muscular and potent Shea Sue with a better serve. Like they have all the guile and court sense in the world, but Shea Sue can get pushed around a lot easier than Jabor can. Jabor just has a lot more weight on her shots. And I thought that that would struggle, that I thought that that would annoy Halep because Halep likes to rally. A solid ball. She likes ball. a solid ball. She's a backboard. She yeah, she likes a back, she's a backboard and she likes somebody to hit hard at her. She doesn't really, even though she's a good mover, she can cover the court. The like bring If she's brought in on her own terms, you can just tell the more that happens, it frustrates her. And honestly, that's what Jabor did. Jabor hang, hung with her when it was time to hang with her from the baseline, and she threw in her junk and made the court um, her own playground. So I was happy with that Jabor win. 
in in the quarterfinals. How do you how do you see? Because um, obviously, as we record this, Jabor is the 2022 Madrid Open champion. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, where do you see her game going now that I now that it seems that she has like broken through a threshold in winning this Masters 1000? Well, it's funny you compared her game to uh, Swayze because I always thought her game gave like Rwanska, um, but like you know, like you said, more power. Because mm-hmm. more the, the finesse and the fact that she has both the finesse and the power and random drop shots like Rwanska would do out of nowhere is where I was like, uh, I could see that. Like Clay is definitely, I'm surprised she hasn't done better on Clay up until this point. But she should have a couple of Clay um, trophies in her her closet before this one. But no, I like her. I like her game. Um, like you say, she. Um, there's a good mix of offense and defense in her game where I feel like some player, most players are very defensive backboards, you know, high rally tolerance, but don't have a kill shot like a Elise Mertens, you know, or you have somebody who's just trying to kill everything like a Sabalenka. So I feel like she's, you know, a good happy medium. I enjoy watching her. Like at the end of the day, whether she is, I I prefer watching her when she's a top 10 player Although she can be frustrating because sometimes she'll pull something out of her her bag of tricks and it's like, ooh, Anj Jabor, that wasn't. Not right now. Yeah, not right now. Not right now. But at the same time, if that same point would have worked, I would have been sitting up clapping like, wow, how did you you pull that off? She's just one of those. No, 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 yes, type of situation. (laughs) Like, no, 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 don't do that. Oh, great job. Great job. Exactly. (laughs) I I enjoy Anj Jabor and she, she. she battled some demons in the in the uh, final. Um, let's let's give a little love for just Jessica Pagula, who is a finalist here, a runner up. Um, she started off her tournament with a real real tough match against Camilla Georgie, who always poses all kind of threats. And then she took out Kanepi. She took out a very um, on the cusp of being resurgent Bianca Andrescu in the third round. And then Pagula took out home favorite Sarah Cerebes Tormo in the quarterfinals to mm. set up a semifinal match with uh, Jill Typen. So once she once she got past Camilla Georgie, she didn't really have a problem with anybody. <laughs> really, her matches were pretty straightforward. Just said, "Look, I'm trying to get get in and get out." She does. She has a very like. Listen, I just came here to get my money. Like not in a not in a very, not in a rude way. Not she she has a very it's I have very, a job to do. It's she, I have a job to do. My job is to make life difficult for my opponent across the net. Period. That means I'm not going to miss. I'm going to at least get my racket. If I don't get it over the net, my racket is going to touch that ball. But she doesn't naturally come off like I don't see her and see, "Ooh, that's an athlete." So something that she does and the way that she trains works for the style of play that she has. And I enjoy yeah, it. We can, we can ask Pliskova about it, can't we? <laughs> Pliskova does not want to see Pagula in her draw anytime soon. Anytime soon. I, I commend her, though, because Pagula has never been one of the Americans that's been talked about, ever. And as much as both of us follow tennis, when, do you, when did you remember somebody saying, oh, watch out for that Pagula girl. She's going to be carrying the flag for American tennis. Have you ever heard that? Well, those are their words, never. Um, <laughs> I think um, the first time 
more than whispers were said about her would have probably been in that um was it 20 uh, 2020 Auckland? Yes, when she reached the final and lost to Serena. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was probably the first time people were like, you know, her game is really evolving. You know, <laughs> she has a new coach in her box. You know, David Witt, long time being Williams coach. Like that, I think for a lot of people, she got more press for getting David Witt after Venus dropped him than for her game at that time. And now, you know, she didn't put the work in and like you say, she's essentially carrying the flag week to week because she's very consistent. She is consistent. Um, and I'm looking at this section of the draw she came through. She came through the section that had Naomi Osaka as the wild card, which doesn't even seem right to have Osaka with wild card. You don't play it, does. Let's, talk, let's touch on that briefly before Zoom kicks us off again. <laughs> um <laughs> I was very, very impressed with Osaka's first round match when she beat Potapova. Potapova was on an eight match winning streak. She had come through qualifying to win the WTA 250 tournament in Istanbul, and she won two more qualifying matches to get to the main draw of, of Madrid. So she was doing something right, and Osaka came through and just pretty much handled her. I think Potapova gave her a more hardcore experience just on clay. And then she got a true clay court experience in Sarah Cerebes Tormo, who's going to be looping balls, throwing up moon balls, slicing stuff, drop shots, essentially keeping you out there all day. And Osaka, I think she came into the match with some Achilles pain because she had it taped up when she came onto the on, onto the court. She's still, and I, part of me is just going to like. <sighs> throw it up to just just the way it's going to be. She doesn't look comfortable. But at the end of the day, she doesn't look comfortable on the play. No, um, I forget who was commentating that match, but they were like, right now, Naomi looks like Maria Sharapova looked on clay when Maria made the comment, oh, I'm, I feel like a cow on ice mm-hmm. out here. So like, I think with clay and also on grass, like she's just not sure of her footing, which it's very hard to play your best when you're not sure if your feet are going to be underneath you and even as a power player to set up properly for your shots. I also think some retooling has to be done to the thought process of how she's going to become more comfortable because I don't see her becoming more comfortable if all she's going to do is play Madrid. Like, if she, she's playing Rome, she probably won't be there long because she plays Tormo <laughs> again. She plays three best Tormo again in yeah. Rome. But that's my thing. That's my thing. How are you supposed to gain confidence? And I said this earlier. There's difference between having experience and having experience winning the matches. How is she supposed to have experience winning on clay if she keep going to Masters 1000 tournaments where the draws are stacked? She's not getting any sort of scrub adjacent or scrub player like she would at a clay 500 or a clay 250. She probably should. She should probably start at 250. She should be at Strasbourg the week before the French Open. I mean, if she's healthy enough to do that, she should be at Strasbourg. I mean, to be honest, to be very honest, this is another layer. If I were her, I would be contemplating right about now if I even want to go play the French Open because of how they played in my face last season. But that's just me. That's just me. And um. 
I do not disagree. I do not disagree. Because the way they the way they handled her last year, yeah, me a little rough. I'm not saying that she was. I'm not saying that she was 100 correct in how she laid out her feelings, but the backlash she received didn't really match up to what she said. What the problem was, it didn't. It didn't match up. She 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 said what she said, like Nene leaks, and um, it was what it was. But that still doesn't excuse the fact that y'all couldn't come together to decide on what color y'all wanted y'all names to be in. But y'all can come together and got that together really quick. Can't come together. can't come together to, to decide if they're going to all ban Russian players or if just one tournament is going to ban Russian players. But that's neither here nor there. Well, it actually yeah, is here or there. It is here. Yeah. <laughs> it is here. Yeah, just, <laughs> it took, look, Miles, you, you and I have both been watching tennis for years mm-hmm. with a, a couple of S's on it. And y'all just came together on a tiebreak decision in five yes, sets, no. but y'all but y'all got that Naomi decision together really quickly within day. In day, it was like, oh wait, yes. let's, let's fax each other real quick and make sure. Yes, this, this. The emails were being sent <laughs> back and forth through not, the burning the midnight even, oil. You know, there's the option to send emails with very high importance. That's what. That's what. Yeah. They must send them with very high importance. Like, oh no, she gonna be at these press conferences yeah. regardless of what y'all. Burn, <laughs> burning the midnight oil to get that taken care of for the next day to drop their press release. Yeah, with all, was, all four by seals on it. That would still rub me the wrong way. And I'd be like, you know what? I mean, especially with the privilege she has of being a mega athlete who is not checking for a Roland Garros check, literally. I'd be like, oh, I'll see y'all whenever I get over it. <laughs> Maybe she is over it, but it's personally still in the back of my head. And I'm, I'm mad. It's bothering your spirit? Yeah, it's, I'm mad for her. Um, so, uh, segueing back to the final, I, I do I do think that Ange DeBoer fought through some demons because she ate a whole bagel in the second set, literally. She ate a bagel. The, the scoreline was 7-5, um, love 6-2. Six, six, and that's a very odd scoreline, but at the same time, it's very, very. it's very Ange DeBoer. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think she's always she, – the, the 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 kind of tennis she produces in the style of tennis that she has, I think she's always going to be riding a line somewhat of confidence in it because it's just it's it's unlike the rest of her peers. So I think that's why she's uh, until she firmly maybe this is a step in the right direction until she firmly believes that her style of play can sit with the upper echelon of women's tennis. She's always going to have like some lapses in her matches because in the back of her mind, she's like, am, am I doing the right thing? Or, or if, is this the right way of doing it? And it, it comes through in her tennis sometimes. You're like, Hans, why would you try that right there? That didn't, that didn't make no sense. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, that is her game in a nutshell. And also just when you lose a set 6-0, most people don't come back and win this, dominate the following set. Six two like this, it may be a six four or a six three. You know, with one break or even like a tie break set, because mm-hmm. usually you don't have a lot of confidence losing a set six love. That that speaks to her ability to reset, which and I, I feel like there's a whole bunch of moving parts in her game, which is why maybe it's. I mean, I hope that this doesn't come back to bite me in the butt in a couple of weeks. I, I feel like putting her down. I'll say it like this. Her winning a major, especially at the French Open, isn't going to necessarily shock me because you and I know the track record that the French Open has over the past. No, since they, that's on brand for Roland Garros. <laughs> that's very on brand. But 
I wouldn't, if, if I was like betting money on it, it would be hard for me to keep penciling Anz Jabor's name way into the final just because of the, the I wouldn't even say her game is high risk. There's, 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 not, a, there's not a great amount of adjectives to describe her game. <laughs> it's not high mm-hmm. risk, it's, but in a way it is. I don't eclectic. know. It's eclectic. Eclectic, one. yeah. Um, but I will say, whereas the, on the men's side, you kind of have some very high-profile uh, high names that you can kind of see going very deep into Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. With the women, it is literally putting a name in a hat, shaking it up, and pulling out a winner. Like All 32 it, seeds, plus maybe five or six more, have a legitimate shot to win seven matches. <laughs> right. It just it, it is what it is. It is what it is. And that's kind of how Madrid was. I mean, luckily, the person that was holding the trophy was a top 10 player. And that kind of makes it the last one standing. It makes it a little bit more digestible. But if you look at the quarterfinals, one, two, three, four, five of them were unseated. Yes, one of the five was Simona Halep, and she's a former world number one and two time champion. But if you look, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily like to compare men's tennis to women's tennis but essentially they play the same sport the men's quarterfinals was like one two three four five six seven eight <laughs> yeah it yeah, was it was one time that's happened for them in madrid it was one twelve hubert crash number 12 one twelve three seven six four eight two that's essentially all all seven out of your eight quarterfinalists or your top eight seeds you know so I wish the women had a, a touch more consistency, but at the same time, I enjoy the fact that I can come on here and talk about a new player. And sometimes a new player emerges week to week. I think there's some fun and a little bit of um, excitement in that too, because it can get a little boring just penciling names on the men's side. Cause that's sometimes what you do. So here's what it is. Any, any other thoughts that we didn't cover on the women's side? Any, um, any gaping holes? No, Kalanina, Coco, Halep, Ons, Jess. Yeah, that's yeah. That's Maria Sakari flopped again. Um, I we didn't have to discuss that. I, I, we didn't have to discuss that because that is that is on trend. But I'm, I just happened to see her name in the draw again, and I'm just I'm still waiting on her to to. I'm actually kind of waiting on her to have her Ons Jabor moment, where it's like, yes, my game does match up to these top girls that are winning. These big, whether they are new top girls or old top girls, my game matches up to theirs to be able to lift big trophies. And it's almost like she doesn't trust her game. I don't know when she's going to have her breakthrough moment, but at one point she was playing for the number two ranking back at Indian Wells. And the number Mm. two player in the world should not have only won one tournament in Rabat in 2019. I'm sorry. It just doesn't seem right. Mm, Well, yeah. But again, like I say, <laughs> she's doing what she does, um, which is flopping. <laughs> you, at some point, you have when you get when you're constantly getting to semis and uh, occasionally a final, you have to want more for yourself. Mm-hmm. She has to, to to quote Venus Williams, quoting Serena Williams. Um, you have to take your opportunities, and more will come. She's not taking her opportunities. <laughs> they're not. not coming she's not oh uh, another good another player we just didn't mention just briefly hit on Anisimova got to the quarterfinals um was happy to mm, see her. yes 
was happy to see her uh, put her game together for another week and another week on the tour. She took out Sabalenka and Petra Martic and Victoria Azarenka. So I was happy. I would, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised for her to make another deep. I don't know if I see her making the semis at the French again like this year, um, but I would not. I wouldn't be surprised again. Well, oh uh, well. Zoom is it Zoom? Is this what this thing called? Yes. <laughs> Zoom is telling me that I have ten minutes to get my ass out of here. So, uh, in the effort of wrapping up, do you want to answer this question? We're going we're going to try our best, even though it could it could be very broad. I guess to keep to keep the the trend of the name of this podcast, missing the point with Miles David. I just need your answer. Do you think Wimbledon banning the Russian and Belarusian players? Is um, them missing the point or being on point? Missing the point. Why is that? For sure. Just because, like, for especially being, you know, us being Americans, you know, we have presidents. Um, decide, whichever side of the aisle you follow, you don't always agree with what your president, your sitting president is doing here in the United States, whether you're a de- Democrat or a Republican. So, and that's... In that same light, they can control what their president is doing or has done. So, I mean, if they agree with it, that's one thing. But if they've kind of, you know, kept quiet about it or just don't agree with it, like Rublev, I don't. It's, it's not right to punish them for somebody else. Like I didn't do the crime, so why am I doing the time? Yes, I, in in the grand scheme of things, I understand that, and I and I fall on that side. I've heard a couple of different arguments that um, Putin and forgive me, listeners, I am not up to par on the state of things politically. I've uh, either whether you listen to my uh, my um, me on my soapbox, whether I released this before or after this episode, I've had a lot going on in my life, and no shade, Ukraine versus Russia has really not. Has really not taken up top priority, but I follow tennis, so I have to, I obviously had to had to come across my desk that Wimbledon is banning the Russian and Belarusian players, and I I see other people's perspectives that say a Russian player does win. What what message does that send, especially if Putin, which he's done before, which is take sporting events and winners of sporting events in Russia and use it for his political gain? How is that going to help the matter? But I just, what's going to happen? Why, why just that one tournament? What's going to happen if a Russian or Belarusian player wins the French Open? Is that not, that's not the same, is the same thing not going to occur? Is he not going to use those? Is he not going to use the images of a Russian player lift, lifting a major tournament in in uh, the sport of tennis to his political game? Like what? Or the fact that your sitting U.S. Open uh, champion could is Russian? Repeat. <laughs> yeah, and it could repeat at the U.S. Open in a couple of months. Like, what, what do you do then? Yeah, it just it, it, it's a it's a strange it's a strange hill to climb up and then die on, but um. And then, and then the WTA and ATP are going to figure out what they do with the points that players literally can't defend. Like, right, like that's also hindering them in their yeah, lives, which I don't. That's yeah, yeah, that's one of my big issues with that. Is yeah, Sabalenka made the semifinals last year. What is she going to do? Tumble down the rankings <laughs> if they don't figure something out. It is not because she's playing badly. It's just because well, it is. She is also playing. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> she is also playing bad. 
<laughs> but for Arub, uh, for um, Daniel Medvedev, again, he made what the semi quarter semis fourth round. He lost the he lost the Hubie, I believe. So in his so in his race because he's in a battle for the number one seed right now with Novak. If Novak can play and he can't, that widens that gap and helps Novak, and that's not his fault that he was born in Russia. Like, that's not fair to him, especially losing out on the number one ranking because of that. That's something outside of his control besides an injury. It's just a whole mess. It's a whole mess. Madrid has been a mess. I feel like tennis is going to be a mess for the next six months <laughs> to seven months that we have tournaments left on the calendar. Um, do we have do we have tournaments on that calendar? WTA has, <laughs> the okay. WTA has yet to give us tournaments after the U.S. Open. So who knows what we're going to be doing? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> uh, as as always, though, I'm very grateful. I have to, I should have said this at the very beginning. You are very. Um, uh, crucial and uh, I'm trying to find the nice words here because <laughs> I'm I'm not in my usual podcasting bag. But I'll just say you've been a crucial part of me getting back on the mic with your your subtle jabs and shade as like Miles. People haven't heard from you. These are you're it's missing. A, you're missing the topic to talk about. That's the it's word. You've been very. You've been very encouraging to help me get back on the mic. So it felt natural that you were my first guest back after my hiatus. So for that, I'm very, very, very appreciative of you, Mr. Tobias. I am. No problem. Always willing and down to talk about tennis. I appreciate that. Before you go, tell the people where they can find you. And before you do that, y'all should follow the, y'all should download the Clubhouse app and follow me and Tobias because we're always having good conversations in our Tuned Into Tennis clubhouse. So tell the people where they can find you. Um, pretty much on um, all social se- uh, platforms, Twitter, IG, Snap. Uh, screen name is uh, un, U-N underscore bias, B-I-A-S. Which is a great play on your name, by the way. Great. Play. Yeah, you know, I try. I try. <laughs> Anything that you're looking forward to in Rome next week before we get out of here? Um, just so, want some of the faves to kind of get their foot in, get a couple of rounds under, underneath their belt, you know, because this is probably like the last big tune-up before all the big people will probably, this will be their last tournament before they go to, to Paris. Yep. I, there's only, there's only two, there's only, after this week, there's only one week before the French Open, and there's two women's tournaments and two men's tournaments, and those are two fifties. So they're not going to dig out. They're not going to bring out the big dogs. So this is the big dogs' last time to tune up. So I'm excited to see what happens. I was excited to watch Madrid this week. I think it gave us a lot of good, interesting storylines that are probably carry us into the French Open, and I'm excited. I'm, it's it's nice to jump back on the horse. This is. The, f- the first episode after a long hiatus. <laughs> first of many. First episode, but first of many, because we're not going anywhere. That's for sure. <laughs>